Navigating Business Podcast, where we dive into the lives and stories of small business owners from around the country to learn what's worked, what hasn't, and everything else in between. Our goal here is to share as much high-quality business information as possible. And the best part is, it's all by business owners for business owners. Everything here is all about small business. We're here today with Frank Conrath. Frank is a transmedia producer, filmmaker, and storyteller. Alongside his brother, he creates story worlds for streaming series and brands, growing and keeping their audiences engaged through multi-form content. He's on an educational crusade on how to build and sustain attention for brands of all industries. Get that fist pump going. Woo. He's also the founder and CEO of Clovis Point and the co-host of the In Conversation podcast. Frank, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nate. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. I'm excited about a lot of the things you have to share today. But before I tease any of those, why don't you just give us yeah, a little bit more description of kind of what you do, who you work with, what you do, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So I think a good way to describe what we do is very transmedia production. And we're in the attention business. So not only getting somebody's attention, but then sustaining it over a long period of time. And primarily, it's used in the entertainment industry. And when we were speaking earlier, I gave the example of, you know, the Harry Potter universe, right? And it's an easy way to then compare that to what brands could be doing, what other entertainment stories and everything should be doing as well, because they've done a fantastic job. I mean, you have the seven books of the Harry Potter series. J.K. Rowling wrote seven books. There's eight movies. She goes out and she writes another book that doesn't really have anything to do with the wizardry world. And there's an uproar. The fans couldn't stand it. They're like, hey, man, you know, we want one and one thing from you only. And we want to revisit <laughs> the Hogwarts universe, right? We want to live in the wizarding world. And so then Fantastic Beasts come out. HBO's and talks with a for a series about what post Hogwarts, what happened after Voldemort died or in that big battle in that class. Sorry to spoil the movies for you. Oh, <laughs> but just uh, came out. Come on. Yeah, right. It just came out. It's only been like 10 years. But when you think about it like that, so what the audience was demanding was to be able to visit this world. Oh, and then Universal, they, you can go and you can be a wizard at Universal, right? And what the audience was screaming for was just to know that that world existed, right? And it's an escape for a lot of people. Thinking about that from an entertainment side, if you were to build a series and somebody falls in love with the series and there's no other way to interact with it, it's kind of a letdown. You forget about it because attention is earned. And once you lose attention, it's gone. You have to re-earn it. You can't just go out and be like, oh, hey, remember that series like a million years ago? Yeah, we're doing a sequel to it. And they're going to be like, oh, man, I don't know if it's going to be as good as the original one because there wasn't that continuation. So mm, right. from a brand standpoint, it might sound like, well, people give their attention to entertainment because it's entertainment. That's the commodity. That's what we're trading. That's the stuff that we're there to purchase. For a brand, they're thinking, well, I don't want to pay attention to this brand because it's going to be all pitching commercially and I don't want to deal with that. I'll just buy the product and go away. But if you think about it from the standpoint of a millennial or a Gen Z and the demands that those two generations and the next generation after, I can't imagine it letting up is for environmental impact, for social impact. They want to see their brands that they buy doing good in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's where their story world and how they can build an audience. That's where it starts. Yeah. Yeah, story worlds. That's such an interesting concept. And when we talked the first time, that's kind of my first introduction to that. And I've been thinking about it a little bit since then. But 
Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen that just in 2020 with large brands, corporate brands getting involved in social justice in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. It's no longer okay for brands just to kind of sit on the sideline and not take a stance in a lot of ways, especially when you're talking about larger brands, but getting back to kind of the, the continuation of storytelling, like you said, with Harry Potter and, and that whole universe, what are some ads that you've seen that do this well or that have done this really poorly? I know we talked about a few Super Bowl commercials and such previously, but I'd love to hear, hear your thoughts on some that have worked well or, or been really bad. Yeah, so there, were, there was definitely one that we saw, and this is a while back, this might be back in like 2018, where it started to pique our interest a little bit because visit Las Vegas, right? So Las Vegas had this huge campaign to get people to not only visit Las Vegas, but then live in Las Vegas, right? Which is a foreign concept to most Americans. Like, why would you ever want to live there? <laughs> yeah. So they had this huge campaign. They had the cultural side of stuff. They had the actual, the strip and everything. And they were telling stories on just... Just like the people that visit Las Vegas. And it was kind of funny. It was kind of kitschy, right? It was the one commercial that I really remember was this guy. He's walking around with like, you know, a suitcase, right? And it's it's Las Vegas. So you're thinking Ocean's Eleven, something like that. You know, something's going down. He's got a suitcase. He's walking through Las Vegas. He ends up being the carpet salesman. Right. But all throughout, before he gets to the place where he's selling the carpet, he's getting a nice watch. He's getting, you know, he's going to the buffet and getting all this great treatment. Right. A couple massages. Right. You're like, oh, this is a Las Vegas experience. And that's and that was really interesting because what it did or what it could have potentially have done is spun those off into little tiny series that all took place in Las Vegas maybe someday they'll come to Las Vegas, right? It's not a direct sales pitch, but it is an invitation to what life is like when you go to Las Vegas on vacation or if you actually live there. So those are people that do it really well. Unfortunately, Nate, I haven't seen a ton of stuff that does anything even remotely close to that. Like that was baby <laughs> level stuff of what could possibly happen. But one of the stories that we had on our podcast with Kate DeLeo, who's a fantastic brand strategist out of Minneapolis, she was talking about the Alexa commercial with Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. And that was a Super Bowl commercial. If you haven't seen it, you can definitely look that up. And she was talking about how much that resonated with her being a mid-30s woman. Uh, There's a couple other things there, right? I mean, I'm not a mid-30s woman, so I didn't really feel that connection. But apparently <laughs> there was definitely one there, right, of an Alexa that could be any shape or size, which we're teeter-tartering on Westworld at that point, so we might want to be careful. But she watched it three, four times. She loved it. She was talking to her friends about it. And I was like, yeah. And then what happened, right? You spend millions of dollars to build up all this attention, all of it. You have all this attention and then you just let it go away. Right. And it just disappears. And so not that I was in that creative room or anything, but there could have been a lot of different avenues to continue that narrative of human Alexas to just have that individual connection to this device that soon you're not going to be able to open up the shades without an Alexa being there and and doing it for you manually, just asking for it. One good. And then, you know, there's a ton of bad and and I could go off like a million different times (laughs) on a whole bunch of different stuff that I was like, oh, if only they would have just continued the narrative. Yeah. And the crazy thing is it seems like an easy move for, for Amazon, right? Just get a bunch of right. celebrities who have very different personalities, which obviously is, is easy to find and keep cranking those things out to hit all your kind of niches in the market. But sure, man, that's crazy. The, the one I thought about when you were talking was, I don't know if you're familiar with Ted Lasso, the show on, on Apple plus or Apple TV, I whatever the new streaming no. service, but what that started from, it just won a bunch of awards, very popular kind of new comedy series. What it came from was actually a commercial that NBC Sports started when they when they started airing the Premier League English soccer. Mm-hmm. 
on NBC. So they did a one-off commercial of this American football coach coaching soccer. And it, it was very well received. Oh, okay. People yeah, thought yeah, it was yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, These commercials are great. They did like maybe three or four of them. And then that was kind of the end of it. But then they literally spun off a new TV series off that whole premise. And I mean, very, it's very rare. I feel like that that actually works. I think Geico tried that with the caveman at some point. Oh, yeah. That like was... a TV series, a disaster, right? But yeah, that was one time where I was like, wow, that, that actually worked where you took a commercial idea and were able to make it into a whole TV series. And I guess it's not necessarily selling NBC sports soccer anymore, but it's still no. making money for someone. So it, it is doing its job, I guess, in some sort. So yeah. That's a perfect example, Nate, because that's taking the attention that that commercial got and then being like, hey, we could repurpose this for it would have been better if NBC had came up with it mm-hmm. and they kept it in house. But right. Apple, at least at the very least, recognized the opportunity there to then go, OK, well, we could take this. It was popular at the time. Let's see if it will then translate. And what we keep on circling back around to is the intent. Right. A lot of this stuff is reactive instead of proactive. No, that's an interesting point. For most people watching Ted Lasso, they're probably like, this is a great show. I have no idea. It connects yeah, right. It, so, yeah, right. Exactly. So we're talking a lot about kind of that long-term vision, right? With, mm-hmm. with brands, with marketing. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because I know when I think about marketing, I'm thinking about short-term return on investment, right? right? Like right. if I pay <clears throat> this, what's going to be my return in a couple of months or even in a year? Like a year to me feels long-term. What's the importance of kind of a long-term vision in, in marketing and branding? How do you see that? Yeah. And so I think we touched on it and I I like to attribute trust in and attention together because it's very, very, very similar. They're in the same vein. Right. And so if you're going to try to build trust with somebody over like Nate, if I, if I was trying to sell you on let's, you know, God forbid insurance, right. I know you probably get pitches (laughs) like that all the time. I don't know why that's why my mind went first. Right. But if I was trying to sell you insurance and you know, I, I'm sitting there and I and I just try to sell, 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 sell as much as I can. And then you put a little flag next to my name and go like, please never, if this guy comes up to me in a networking event, I'm walking the <laughs> other way. I'm not talking to this guy. Mm-hmm. And so in this idea of trust, like if I really wanted to get you and onboard you as a client, it's a little information here, a little information there. I try to build up some sort of relationship. There's a rapport. You like me, I like you. And then all of a sudden you're whatever, maybe your car insurance is up and that's what I'm selling. And you're like, you know what? Maybe I should go talk to Frank because he's the one that's been talking to me about all this car insurance and a couple of things I didn't even really know was going on. I'm going to trust him as a thought leader in this industry yeah. to the point where I'm going to go to him. If I have a good experience, then I'm going to go and tell other people, right? And the go tell other people is the most important part, by the way, too, because that's word of mouth. And there is nothing that is ever going to supersede word of mouth in advertising and marketing, right? That's the goal. Yeah. Talk to any CMO. They're like, if I can get everybody just talking about it, that's what I want. But when in, in this long-term approach, right? And it doesn't mean that there aren't short gains, right? There are going to be short gains, but it's the plan of how to build over a long period of time and understanding that, yes, as, as much as say, you know, a startup right now in Chicago is doing fantastic work in the candle industry, but they also, they, they're also using all recycled glassware or whatever, right? You have to understand that, yes, they have these fantastic candles. They have this fantastic, the scents are fantastic and the glassware is recycled. And that could really be like, oh, that's fantastic. They can't go out and then do a huge documentary series about how they're recycling glass because number one, nobody knows who they are, right? (laughs) And two, it's like, okay, well, are they really the only ones that are doing recycled glass? But you have to understand that as their audience grows over a period of time and they do little videos about, hey, this is us at the recycling plant. Hey, this is where we get our glass from. Little tiny snippets into this world and coming right back down to their mission statement. 
they're going to make sales. They are going to make sales. Like that is going to happen. That is going to resonate with people. Like I said, with the millennials and Gen Z, they want to see that social environmental impact. Mm -hmm. So it's going to resonate. But if you just do that over and over and over again, and don't have any other way for the audience to to engage, then you're going to start to have a little bit of drop off or a little bit of it's going to go stale, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be able to build it. I like to think of it too, just on the trust side too, but it's also like when you're trying to scale your business and you're trying to get to a larger and larger consumer base, you just have to think about it getting to a larger and larger audience with, with content that people are going to end up wanting to engage with. So yeah, to answer your question, it's a long-term plan, but it's a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach. No, that's great. I, it, it made me think of, there's this book called Giftology. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's written by, I think his name's John Rulin. But it's, it's all about intentional gifting to prospective clients, to referral partners. And when we sure. think about gifting, it feels kind of nasty, right? You're like, well, I'm going to, it's like a tit for tat. Like I'm going to give you this yeah. for a referral, right? And I think in the book, he's trying to get away from that and build a lot of what you're saying, the trust, build a really yeah. intentional, thoughtful gift that someone's going to use for a long time. And it doesn't have like your logo plastered all over it. You know, it's not like right. I'm going to give you something that's going to say navigator bookkeeping from Nate Hendricks, but it's right. going to it's going to be something that's important for you. And when you see it, you're not going to, it's not going to say my name, but you're going to think about, wow, Nate gave this to me. This is a really interesting right. gift. And it's like a long-term play there. So I think that's interesting because you're you're thinking about it more as I'm just going to build trust. I'm not going to try to sell as much. Right. And, and I think that it's hard to do because you're going to have to put a lot of time and money into it for potentially years, right? Before yeah. something comes of it. But like you said, if you can get people talking about you and trusting you, there's nothing better than that. So yeah, I love the gift idea because what you're doing is you're providing value, right? So if like I kept on sending you edible arrangements, right? You'd be like, <laughs> what is he doing? Right. But if I, right. Right. Exactly. Like, okay. Like I'm sick of strawberries on sticks, <laughs> but if I'm sending you information, what well, going back to now I'm the insurance salesman again, if I go back and I start to give you information on insurance, or if you have a question and you come to me and I give you all this value, it's that value that people are looking for. There's a problem in the content world because people see content as just purely entertainment when it should be a good mix of both of entertainment, trying to lead, trying to inspire people to do something, but provide value in some way. Entertainment's a good value to provide. There are many, many YouTube channels out there that make all their money by providing entertainment value. That's what TV has done for its entire existence is provide value in form of entertainment. But even with, if you're, if you're thinking on it about it, of how am I going to help this person, right? with any content that you make, whether that's sending somebody a gift, which I would put in the form of content, a live event, I put it in the form of content. That's sure. just stuff that you're putting out, sure. right? That you're hoping that people are going to resonate with. And you're providing value. The, the goal there is to provide some sort of value that people are going to then continue interact with it. If you can, if you have that as your base, you're in a good spot. Yeah. That's helpful because it's not that it makes it easier, but it makes it a little less complex, I think. Yeah, all the, all the possible avenues and platforms you can go through. If you're just kind of thinking about that as your as your base, am I providing value? Am I building trust through this? Right. I think that's a helpful starting point to kind of inform everything else you're doing. So that's, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, I know you guys have a lot of really interesting things going on with the company and even just an interesting structure with kind of the family background. So I want to get sure. into that, but tell us a few fun things that you guys are doing right now. I know you have a lot of kind of cool projects. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, we come from a very entrepreneurial family. So any good idea that we have, we think that's the one that we have to focus on right now. And that just leads to me feeling like I'm running on a hamster wheel. You mentioned the podcast. The podcast has been fantastic. We've met some amazing, I would call them thought leaders, but they're really just moving the needle on this stuff about attention and, and really understanding that what we've, what we've been talking about this entire podcast we also have a cocktail show because we have all this camera equipment and we're like, well, you know, we don't really have anything else to do. And it's a weekly thing. That's a lot of fun. We have people vote on cocktail names or goofy They're It's a good challenge. And, you know, it, it fits us like a glove. We like cocktails too. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, we're just going to go ahead Why and do not? that. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> what else? I mean, the one project that we're really excited about, and I, I might've mentioned him very, very briefly, but we're working with a gentleman whose brother was one of the lead costumers for the rock and roll era from the late 60s into the early mm. 2000s. And that's the one that we're building the story world. That's very much an entertainment, not more of a brand corporate structure where we're starting to put in the pieces, people that we met through the podcast, that we're putting in these the gears and everything to then make this engine that's going to hopefully be able to not only quantify the audience, but then qualify their attention. So that's basically what's really going on with Clovis Point right now. That's it. Only the only that. Only that. <laughs> yeah, only a lot that. going on. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. Of, a lot of great content you guys are putting out. So I want to talk about the family business because mm-hmm. it is very much a family business. When you're talking earlier, you're telling me a little bit about that. Tell me about what it's like working with a lot of family and how you guys make that successful. Cause I know it's a fear of a lot of people that a yeah. family business can be really complicated. I've heard terrible stories about family members in a boardroom fighting with each other. And after hearing a couple of those stories, when you boil it down to, it's all about who thinks that they have the end decision-making ability in any given situation. And in most times with a family, you know, their buttons. And so you, play that to then get power, which I never really understood because if it's a, no matter what the business is, you're working together. If you can't work together, you shouldn't be in business, right? Within our family, we have a really interesting structure just because of our father did a fantastic job of basically, you know, identifying personality types within my brother and me, right? And I'm a, I'm far more like my mother. I'm very headstrong. I'm very much the leader. And then my brother is far more like my dad, very creative, very out there, And so what ended up happening is, is that there are certain things that I have final say on, and it's not to say that we don't all go in the weeds with everything, but we know Mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, when we know what our responsibilities are. So that's the way that we've really been able to make it work. No, I think that's key. I keep mentioning books, which I got to maybe stop bringing so many different things in, but there's this book called Traction, which is another one of the ones behind me here. And they Mm -hmm. have a whole chapter on roles and responsibilities and splitting that so that it's very clear. All right, Frank, these are your roles and responsibilities. And not that it's completely siloed, like you said, right? There's still input from other people because it's not healthy when you're on an island. But yeah, when you know who's responsible for everything, it just, things move faster. Decisions are made more quickly. Good to hear it's been going well though. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about entrepreneurship in general as well. And I know there's a lot of insights you could give on that, but what do you think is is important about entrepreneurship that new entrepreneurs or just people getting into small business should know? Yeah. Understand. And and this kind of ties into everything that I had mentioned before, but understand that you're not going to know everything and find people that are smarter than you. Just to then contradict that, a lot of people go into entrepreneurship and they're like, oh, I don't know anything. Let me try to learn everything. I'm going to go back to school and get my MBA or whatever, right? And try to learn everything there is about this one subject so that then I can then do the business. And really, entrepreneurship is a journey 
it's something that you learn as you go and the mistakes that you make that's where all the real value is that's where the real education is and the education comes from doing it not from reading about it in a book and i think we we did speak on that because it's you know everything in a book always works exactly the way it's supposed to you have a yeah. problem yeah. there's a solution sometimes there's no solution sometimes <laughs> it's just a bad problem <laughs> and you're just like well <laughs> we ran into a wall here let's try to re you know reconvene later that's the one thing that I think you have to understand about entrepreneurship, that it's a very much a doing thing. You have to just, mm. if you have this idea and you're like, all right, I don't know anything about manufacturing. I have this new product. I want to be able to manufacture network like nobody's business. It, network, meet people, find people, have them introduce you to people and let them tell you mm. how the real world works. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. When you were talking, I was thinking about kind of the difference of making mistakes on your own and just trying things out compared to doing that with someone, like you said, who's, who's smarter than you and knows more than you and can right. mentor you in that, right? Because there's a big difference there between just kind of running into a wall repeatedly being like, I don't know, this is a problem. This is a problem. Right. I don't know how to get past it compared to someone saying, all right, I see the wall. Let's get around it. I know I've seen that before. So right, right, right. I like that connection, you know, with the real world problems and just kind of dealing with it with also getting some good insight from others. So yeah, that's, that's a helpful kind of connection, but yeah, it's so interesting about the MBAs and kind of extra schooling. I, I switched careers. I was a teacher before. So I, I felt that I was like, I need to go back and get some sort of legitimate degree. Otherwise people are going to question me. Right. I've, I've never once had someone question my credentials. They've just always wanted to know how do I treat clients? Do I do solid work? And what's your real world experience? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah right. And we talked about that too. I mean, we're filmmakers and our dad's a photographer. That's how we got into filmmaking. We don't have filmmaking degrees. Then go to film school, right? Mm -hmm. Our film school is life. We're out there and, <laughs> you know, but in reality, like once again, that's, that's how you, that's how you learn about the yeah. way that things really work. And then going and like you said, finding a mentor or finding a place to volunteer. I'm mm -hmm. a huge proponent of volunteering, especially if it's an industry that you know nothing about. Find a company that allow you to do an internship. Volunteering is a little better because it just feels better, you know, because you're not expecting to get a job from them afterwards. And there are so many nonprofits out there that do great work in every industry. Find one. Yeah. Start volunteering. You'll learn far more in the mud <laughs> than you would if you got a degree <laughs> in that sector. So, yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. Love it. Well, Frank, this has been really encouraging, I think, for business owners and listeners. Where can our listeners learn more about what you guys are doing if, if they're interested in kind of getting into all those cool projects? Yeah, sure. So the In Conversation podcast, I think, is a great place to just learn a little bit more about what we do. It's like 50 episodes. You could actually see the genesis as we start from the beginning to where we are now of where mm -hmm. our thought processes are. I could send a link and I could, we could put like a link in the yeah, description, but it's we'll just, yeah, buzzsprout.inconversation.com, I believe is what it is. <laughs> and that has all the audio. And then we also have a YouTube page where you can watch stipulations mm -hmm. and everything. And if you just type in Frank and Jack, the appersand, not and from Clovis Point on YouTube, we should pop right up. And yeah, so it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy between content because it goes from serious conversations to goofy <laughs> cocktails, but you'll get a good understanding of who we are as people. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. that, that's essentially it. But yeah, and then ClovisPointCM.com is our website. That's where you could find us. And then, of course, you know, if you want, if anybody here is interested in speaking, I'm such a opponent of networking. You could always reach out to me on LinkedIn, which is just Frank L. Conrath after the URL. And, right. and I'd right. love to get to talk to you if you want to talk anything, transmedia, storytelling, marketing, branding, anything. I'll, awesome. I'll talk to you. Great. 
lots of good options. And yeah, we'll put the the podcast link in, in the YouTube link in the description here. So it's easy to find, but thanks again, Frank. This has been great. Thanks for having me, Nate. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you listeners for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Navigating Business Podcast.